The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to Officially Unofficial, presented by Blue Wire Podcast. Mayo Meyer, we join with a special guest. He is 10-year MLB vet, former MLB All-Star. Is that good? You tell me. It is my pleasure to welcome Tyson Ross to the Officially Unofficial Podcast. How are we? Hey, Johnny. What's up, dude? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm fired up. And we mentioned the MLB All-Star. We'll go into that a little bit later. But the first thing I want to start out with, 10-year MLB vet. What do you get? I don't know. If we, I think we've had four guys, three or four guys that have been 10-year MLB vets. What do you get when you hit that 10-year mark in the major, in Major League Baseball? Like, is there some sort of, comp- not compensation, but do you get some sort of benefits? Like, what happens there when you hit 10 years of service time? Uh, well, I'm actually just under 10 years. Oh, okay. uh, yeah, I've played in 10 MLB seasons, but I think when you when you max out at 10 years of service time, that's your, uh, your pension maxes out. I don't know if you get something cool as well. I know at eight years you get you get a gold card that kind of gives you access to, uh, I think it's you you plus one to any MLB stadium if you call ahead, which is kind of a cool perk. So, you know, hopefully down the line I'll be able to take one of my boys with me and just kind of go around to all sorts of ballparks and just say, hey, you know, dad played ball. You know, one of the perks of it is they let you come into games for free. So wait a second. So I've seen this ticket. Like it's like a golden ticket. I think I saw Johnny Gomes have it, right? I think Johnny mm-hmm. Gomes has one of those. So you get to go to any MLB game you want, like no matter what, or you have to, like you said, you have to call a couple of days in advance or how does that work? You know what? I haven't used it yet. I think you got to call ahead to, to ticket services or, or to the club or something. And then they take care of it. But uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. You know, it's, it's gold engraved with your name on it. It says, thank you for your, your, you know, service in that major league baseball kind of thing. That is the most elite shit. And there is nothing <laughs> more of like, the cotton it's not cocky but there's nothing more of like a big dick energy where it's like you call this you call the front off you call whatever ticket services and you're like listen i played in the show for eight years i get free tickets how do i get in the stadium right now i got a gold plated <laughs> card how do i get let in there it's actually bananas you haven't used it yet. like what are you doing why haven't you used it oh man because i've been trying to play this whole time the last couple of years yeah uh, i'd rather be sense. down on the field than in the stands I've that been in the sense. stands a couple of times to watch my brother, and it's a, it's a weird feeling. Yeah, how's your brother doing, by the way? David Ross, uh, is that correct? That's his, that, uh, I have the name correct? No, no, Joe. Joe, Joe Ross. Ross sorry, Joe Nationals, Ross, yeah. 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 How's he doing? Uh, 
He's doing well. Yeah, he's he's down in spring training. He's uh he's a little behind right now. He had he had some bone spurs removed right before camp, but uh you know feeling good. He's young, twenty eight, and uh, yeah, no, he's he's getting ready to to get going out there. Do you look at him and you're and like and you can be honest here. This is a trust circle. Like, do you look at him still <laughs> pitching in the show and you're like, man, I could do this shit still. Like, do you you look at him and you're like, man, I still got some juice in the tank here. Like, I need some sort of shot now. Like, what's going on? Like, yeah, has that ever passed your mind? Uh, yeah, man. I mean, I, I'm definitely. I don't think I'm done. You know, other people may think I am, but I still got that fire still working out. And uh, you know, when we're done here, I'm gonna go down to the indoor facility, fire some baseballs, and see if I can't get my slider biting again and get ready to go. Like, how does that work out though? So, are you are you gonna be like throwing for major league teams, or how does that work? Because obviously, that 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 presence, especially because I'm a Blue Jays fan, especially in like that um, bullpen, like having even that veteran presence of a guy who's been there before. Um, it definitely helps. So have you re- how, like, is there contact with MLB teams? Are you going to throw for teams or how does that work? Yeah. So my plan is I'm going to try and uh, get ready to throw for teams at the end of May, early June. And, uh, you know, just have my agent put the bat signal out there and see if anyone needs some, some, uh, you know, long relief or short relief help. And, uh, you know, hopefully I got my slider biting and, and my velos up there to where some teams might be interested. So what are you touching right now? Are you still just easing into it? Like, are you hitting the four 94s, 93s, 92s? Like, what are you touching? Oh, just, I'm just easing into it. I'm just off the mound playing catch the last, uh, last two weeks, getting adjusted to the slope. Yeah. Cause and I know it, I have some time, so I'm easing into it for sure. And, and it helps. I mean, it definitely helps throwing that MLB all-star, that little star beside your baseball reference. When teams look at that, they get, they get going a little bit, you know? So I'm definitely dialed into it. I might have to start an ad campaign, bring Tyson Ross back, or we need Tyson. <laughs> or we might have to start a campaign to get you back. We did it with Taylor Guerrero last year and it worked. He got signed. So we're going to have to do something for you here, but so is there a specific, I mean, not specific area you want to play in or stuff like that? You're not going to be picky, but is there more, is there some teams that you like are more comfortable playing with like the Padres, I guess, cause you had a pretty good amount of time there or like you're just willing to play wherever. Yeah, dude, I'm willing to play whatever, like, you know, I keep it simple when I'm throwing baseballs, people are like, Hey, is this ball? Okay. I'm like, bro, if it's white with red seams, I'm good. Let's do it. You know yeah. what I mean? You're a common man. I respect that. I respect that. Like I said, the odd campaign will be started. And I, because you're a big league MLB vet, you're a grizzled vet. We had Josh Tomlin on a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I was absolutely fascinated with some of the stories that he told. And it just from back in the day, right, when times were a little bit different, you know, where there's not really like cameras, not cameras everywhere, not phones everywhere, just guys having a good time. Um, what was your rookie initiation like? Because Tomlin said he had to like pretty much just serve beers to people on the plane, but one of his stories was the the veterans left all of uh, the rookies at this bar like an hour away, and all they were wearing was their underwear, and they had to find a way back to their hotel. Did you do something along those lines, or like what did you do your rookie year? Yeah, I actually listened to part of that podcast, and, and that was a great story. Uh, ours was similar. I think we were in we were in New York, and we had a big we had a big group of rookies, and so what they had us do was we had like green. I was on the ace. We had green wrestling singlets. And they dropped us off in New York City and say, like, you know, find your way back to the hotel. And then from there, you know, it was just a it was a mess. You probably had 10 or 15 guys in, in wrestling costumes walking down the street. We had the earmuffs, you know, the whole the whole get up and, uh, you know, find your way back to the hotel. People in New York were kind of staring at us, but they're also like, yeah, it's New York. There's yeah. some weird stuff happening all the time. And yeah. then, uh, yeah, then we had a little tea party afterwards. It was a good time. Dude, I, I mean, I'm so fascinated with it because obviously nowadays, and maybe you could attest to it, and obviously you listen to the Josh Tallman interview, he says now it's like 
the only way you can kind of connect with your teammates is by playing video games because they're all young guys, right? So you're like playing video games with them or playing Call of Duty and Fortnite and stuff like that. But what was it like in like when at the start of your career, how would teams bond? Like, would you guys go after it, go, go get a couple beers with the guys or like play cards on the plane? What would you guys do to like bond or like get to know your teammates at the start of the year? Yeah, so there's a lot of going out to dinner, going out to get some drinks every now and then. Uh, you know, we play video games. It wasn't as intense as it is now where everyone goes back to their room and, you know, logs on to play on the, on the, uh, you know, stream together, but someone would bring an Xbox or a PlayStation, we'd play FIFA, we'd play NHL and, and, you know, just get a bunch of guys in the room and hang out. Uh, you know, you spend a lot of time with each other at the field, but it's, it's different hanging out off, you know, away from the field too. And let's go into that MLB debut. Obviously, I'm fascinated with minor league stories, and you've probably seen some shit because the minor leagues now are, like, pretty bad, but I can't even imagine what they were like <laughs> in, like, 2008, 2009, 2010. It must have been just an absolute nightmare. But let's go into that debut, April 7th, 2010. I'm pretty sure that's close to opening day, right? It has to be, like, a week after opening day you made the team? or what? I made the team out of spring training, actually. Yeah. Okay. Humble brag. Is that good? Yeah. Just incredible <laughs> stuff there. I mean, sign TysonRoss.com. But so you make your debut against Seattle Mariners, two innings, no runs. Is that good? One, two punchies. So what was running through your mind there? Because you get drafted in 2008. So if you have a very short time in the minor leagues, you make your debut in 2010. What was running through your head during that MLB debut? Because that is just bananas. You made it after only two years or a year and a bit in the minors. Yeah. Yeah. The debut was crazy. I mean, the, the craziest part about it is I grew up in Oakland. I was an A's fan growing up. So I was playing at home for the hometown team. Uh, I remember Justin Ducher was pitching. He had kind of like a hip issue going on. And I think he probably pitched like three or four innings that came out early with a low pitch count. So the phone rang. I wasn't really expecting anything. They said, hey, Tyson, get hot. And it was really one of my first relief appearances. I think I only had one relief appearance in the minor leagues and it might have been you know, in spring training, I always had a clean inning. Um, so I came in running around first base and everything was cool until I heard Ray King, the, the announcer, you know, say, hey, and now making his major league debut, Tyson Ross. And I've heard that voice a million times as an ace fan. So then I was like, oh, shit. OK, this is real. <laughs> and and yeah, man, like uh, I think first pitch, I got a, they called a fastball. And I just threw it as hard as I could. Didn't pay attention at all to the guy in first base. He basically walked down to second base, stole it. And uh, I had two outs in the inning when I was coming in there. So I actually was able to strike out that first batter, you know, call my nerves a little bit and then went on to, to pitch a little bit longer. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a crazy experience. I think the first hit I gave up, Ichiro hit a line drive over the shortstop's head. My second strikeout was like King Griffey Jr. Jesus. So, yeah, I mean, I was I was like a 22, 23 year old kid pitching at home against like legends like that. And it was, it was just really a surreal moment for me. Talk about a welcome to the show. You're playing Ichiro and Ken Griffey Jr., the first four hitters you face. Are you shitting me with that? <laughs> what was So what was running through your mind? We'll start with the Ichiro at bat because Ichiro, you can make the case, is one of the greatest hitters to ever step foot on this planet. And I, I actually, I think you, like, that's a pretty easy argument to make. But what was stepping through your mind where it's like, I was at Cal, I was at the University of Cal like two, a year ago, two years ago, and now I'm pitching to Ichiro Suzuki, the guy like, against the team that won like a hundred games in 2000. So what was running through your head when it's like you're on the mound and you see Ichiro do that thing in the box with his bat up, how nervous were you? I mean, I just, I'd play so much MVP at that point that I knew I was like, okay, he really doesn't have any blue zones. So just <laughs> try, try, let him hit it at someone. And I think I threw it maybe a cutter or something and he, and he hit it towards the shortstop and I was like, Oh, we've got a chance. And it was just a screaming line drive right over the guy's head. 
but uh yeah man it's just it's funny i mean i see you've got the swingman the little jacket on there and it's like when you're playing with or against these guys that you've seen growing up it's it it doesn't feel real you know i was an ace fan i had the pleasure of playing with like marcate i played with houston street wow uh, played with eric chavez uh so all these guys that i was like man you don't know how many times I'd seen them play and now I'm in the locker room with them. I'm cheering them on. They're giving me high fives after coming out, you know, getting out of a jam, whatever it may be. It's just, uh, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy the way that time works in baseball and the, and the way generations get, get uh, overlapped like that. Dude. And you, you mentioned that name that gives me nostalgia. Obviously I'm young. I'm only 24, but when I hear the name, Eric Chavez, that was my favorite player growing up. Like one of my favorite players growing up. I used to have his posters on my wall when I was a kid, he was just the smoothest kid guy. He was on the cover of MLB the show. I think. Right. I think, yeah, he was mm-hmm. on the cover of MLB the show. So what was it like playing with that dude? Because obviously he's an Oakland legend. I mean, you mentioned that name there. People get goosebumps. The guy was a freak when he was there. So, I mean, what was it like being in the locker room with him, or just even getting to know him on a personal level? It was great, man. I mean, he was, he was actually, you know, one of the, one of the traditions of baseball is when you're a rookie, usually a veteran will buy you a suit and suit, you know, you got to dress down for, for travel. Well, we used to have to, and uh, you know, Shavi bought me my first big league suit. And, you know, I think I still have it today. I, it doesn't fit anymore, but it's just, you know, kind of that, that, that memory, that, that respect of, of, you know, what a veteran did for me, especially someone like, like Shavi, who I looked up to my whole life. Dude, he's uh, he's special, man. He's one of those guys that gets kind of lost in translation, like in the game of baseball, because he, he was so good. Like he was smooth, he mashed everything, man. He was just had so much swagger on the field too. I love that guy. So, were you there during the Billy? You were there during the Billy Bean era, right? I'm assuming. Yeah. yeah what was, was Billy Bean like? I mean, obviously the the movie kind of overplays how this guy is, but the some of the stories are true, I believe. Right? He would never watch the games live. Is that is that correct? Um, you know what he would, he would watch games when I was there. I mean, maybe, maybe back in the day when they were, you know, initially starting the Moneyball thing, he wasn't watching live, but he would watch games live in the gym and be on the elliptical and watch the baseball game. And then he had soccer on at the same time too. So he was big time into soccer. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of funny. Cause like, if you ran up there to do something real quick, he just, you see the, the GM, you know, casually getting a little, a little sweat in while watching the big league game and then watching someone on the pitch. That's so electric. I love Billy B. And is it true that he, like, I know the story shows it and all that stuff, but did he pack the biggest dips of all time? I, I don't know if it was just a story, but I'm fascinated with the fact that I loved, I love the guys that dip. I always do hammer, hammer from hell on Twitter. Was he packing the biggest bombs like they portrayed in the movie? Uh, you know what? I didn't see him with big dips in while on, on the uh, elliptical. Most of the time, that's where I ran into him. But uh yeah, can't confirm that story for you. Okay, well, well I, I'm going to have to keep on doing research on that because that's something that I'm just fascinated about. And then the second year, your second year in the show, this is, I, got, I mean, you got a 2.75 ERA. So ah, you played 26 games the year before. So you kind you got some games under your belt. I mean, you got some starts. You got, you got to, I think, you, yeah, you got two starts under your belt, a, a lot of relief appearances. So what was it like going into that second year as – in your mind, you're, I mean, obviously you're a big leaguer at that point. So what was it like the off season? What did you change to kind of bring that ERA down to two, seven, five? Like what did you do different into that second season? Yeah. So my rookie year, I was actually a reliever mostly. So yeah. Yeah. And like I said before, I wasn't really, I'd never really relieved. So it was a brand new role for me. I was getting adjusted, you know, had, had all the nerves of being in the big leagues for the first time and, and kind of had some ups and downs with it going into, I think about the all-star break, they sent me down to, 
get stretched out and get back to starting because that's what I'd done my whole career. So I was in AAA getting built up to be a starter in that 2010 season. Uh, coming into 2011, had a little bit of big league experience. I was excited to be back in big league camp. I think I had a really good spring training. And uh, I think I ended up, uh, I think I started the year at AAA, but before the season even started, someone might have got hurt and got called right back up. So uh, yeah, there's an opportunity. I just, you know, I rolled with it. We, I think we changed pitching coaches. We had Ron Romantic that year. He really kind of helped me out, just kind of dialed in my stuff. And, you know, I hit the ground running and, and got off to a good start. And, you know, that season was short and I, I tore my oblique, uh, maybe six starts in. And uh, yeah, man, it just kind of threw a wrench in the system. But it was nice to get that first taste of success in the big leagues. You know, as a starter, you know, I started to find routine. I started to find success. And then I got injured. So, you know, it was bittersweet, right? That's just the game of baseball. I mean, the thing, and that's the thing that really pisses me off is like you come out of the gate and you're just buzzing. Like you have a 279 ERA, you're on the loose, you're buzzing, or 275, sorry. I'm not going to shortchange you there. <laughs> 275 ERA, and you're just on the loose. And of course, you get hurt. Right. I mean, it, it just that's just what the game of baseball does. You, you, you're all of a sudden you're having a good season. You're buzzing and all that stuff. But one thing that I the question that I love, especially to guys that have been there for such a long period of time. Did you have a moment when you're in the big leagues or at the start of your career where like, did you have your big league moment where you got the chance to kind of look back? Maybe when you're on the private jets or eating all those massive meals you guys get and you're like, I'm in the show, man. Like I'm a big leaguer right now. Did you ever have that moment? You know what? It's funny you ask that. And I think because I was, I was scratching a clone for so long, uh, you know, I didn't really have sustained success until I got down to San Diego. And even there, it, you know, I felt like I had to fight for everything I got. It wasn't until I got to that all-star game in 2014 that I was like, okay, all right, cool. I'm, I've done it now. I'm, I'm here. And now let's roll with it. Um, you know, that was, that was a 2014 all-star game. So, I think in 2013, I kind of had a rough start again. You know, I, I was in yeah. the, I was starting, I was in the pen, went to AAA for a minute, came back at the second half of 2013. I rattled off some good starts there. I think maybe like 13 in a row were pretty good for me. And then 2014, I came out hot and I was like, okay, like, like things are going well for me. You know, I'm, I'm finding ways to su succeed even on the days where I don't have my good stuff. And then, you know, the Midsummer Classic, I was, I was an all-star and I was like, okay, this is, you know, this is that moment you're talking about where I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm a big leaguer. Dude. And who, cause obviously I, I'm not a research guy, but who was on that national league team? Like name drop a couple guys where it's like, I was playing with this dude. This dude was on, this dude was in the team picture with me. Yeah. I mean, I'll just say this. It was Derek Jeter's last all-star game. Oh yeah. So like yes. that, that took precedence over everything else. It was insane. Derek Jeter's last all-star game. That, that, where was that? Um, uh, Minnesota Minnesota that was oh my god dude what a scene that was like do you still have pictures and stuff like that or like do you yeah. do you remember every single thing just like it was yesterday because that must have just been the most craziest shit of all time yeah no I, I do I remember I remember distinctly that that was the best baseball game I've ever watched I actually pitched the Sunday before the all-star break yeah. so I wasn't eligible to play but uh just watching the game it was like the the most crisp game I've ever seen you know <laughs> It was, it was insane. I just sitting there watching in amazement. I think Trout either let off with a homer or double the left. And like, after like that first swing of the bat, I was like, okay, this game's different. 
you know, watching it on TV doesn't do it justice because you're like, oh, yeah, you know, like these guys are good. But when you're in the dugout and I've seen baseball day in and day out, and I've seen good baseball and bad baseball and, you know, have one guy, you know, pitcher styled in. I saw seen a couple no hitters. I've seen perfect games. But from first pitch to last pitch, that was the best baseball game I've ever seen. You, you, you have a point. I mean, and the thing is, is what, what we don't real, realize as fans, when we're watching the game on TV, you always hear those old guys sitting on the couch saying, why would you swing at that breaking ball? But you don't realize the shit that you guys throw. Like, especially I get lost in it through once in a while. I'll roast a guy. Ex- example, broad hand. I roast him all the time when he was on the Jays and just ruining my life. But you don't realize that these hitters, these pitchers, everyone is so elite. And the all-star game is the best of the best. And you got to see Mike Trout lead off. So that's a that's a good uh, segue here. Who's the best hitter you've ever seen in your career? Or the best guy that you ever got to face? Or obviously we talked about Griffey and Ichiro and stuff like that. But who's one guy who had uber success or so much success against you where you're like, this is the best hitter I've ever seen in my life? You know, I would say Nolan Arenado. Really? Facing him all the time in Colorado. People, people don't really kind of understand how good he is. Everyone says, hey, you know, he was hitting in Colorado. It's different up there. The ball flies, whatever. Like, he's the ultimate competitor in the box. Uh, he's the only guy, and I I mean, he knows I didn't try and do this, but I almost hit him in the head with a fastball, got away from me. And, you know, he's the guy that's, like, dug in and hit a homer on the next pitch. Really? So, yeah, he's been a guy, you know, playing in that NL West for all those years, seeing him, and he was young back then, too. He's uh, he's a guy that that, I mean, he's incredible. Everything he's done offensively, defensively, he's he's nasty. Dude, and I'm pretty good friends with his cousin Josh Fuentes, who uh used to play for the Rockies. Um, but no, and they all everyone says that though. Everyone, everyone in that Rockies organization that had got to see Nolan Arenado, Nolan Arenado up close that we've had on the podcast says just what he does when that guy's taking BP or when that guy's fielding ground balls, it's just a little bit different, right? Mm-hmm. It's just the pop of the the pop of the glove, the pop of the bat, just the stuff that he does is just different than others, right? And there's the, every team has like some teams have those guys, some teams don't. But and we're going back to that All Star season for you though, so you you kind of work up to it, right? I mean, you have you have that okay, you have the okay year in 2012, and then 2013 that ERA is at 317, where you're starting to show glimpses of being elite, and you're starting to show glimpses of being an, a future All Star, and then that 2014 season. 281 ERA. Are you shitting me with that? And I mean, what was going right for you those two seasons where you had the 317 in 2013, the 281? Is that when everything was just clicking for you and every on the mound? You're like, if I'm trying to hit a spot, I'm hitting this right now, no matter what. Uh yeah. I mean, it was really a progression, right? So after getting injured in 2011, I really I was like, I gotta find a way to stay healthy, take care of my body. And so I really kind of changed my mindset going into that 2012 season and you sugarcoated it. I think I had like a seven. No, it's like I a appreciate six, that. It's 650. It's six, uh, 650. But like I said, I mean, that's that's the era when hitters started to just absolutely demolish baseballs for a living. So yeah, and I stunk yeah. too. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. Like I was bad in 2012. I was I found a way to keep myself healthy and I and I went between the big leagues and triple A, I think six or seven times that year. Wow. So it was it was a grind, but um you know, I just kind of, I kind of shifted the way I, I worked out and, and took care of my body and just, you know, I knew I had to be ready for a long season. So um, going into that 2013 year, I needed to change the scenery and luckily, luckily I got traded down to San Diego, had a really good pitching coach down there. And, you know, the first thing he kind of really helped me figure out was just how to, how to adjust for my movement. You know, I had a lot of walks in Oakland. I would miss by, you know, a little bit or a lot. And I didn't realize like, Hey, my fastball, my four seam fastball cuts, you know, three or four inches. 
And so if I threw it at, at the outside corner, I would just consistently miss off. And I didn't, you know, I whip my head like everyone. I didn't really yeah. realize like, hey, you know, throw it right down the middle, let it eat and it'll get to the edge. And, you know, that's what Darren Balsley kind of taught me in San Diego, got me in the strike zone a lot more, got me in better counts. And then you see the ERA cut in half there to three or whatever. 317. Uh, and, that's more than mm-hmm. half. Like I said, we're pumping the tires here for you. That's more than half. That's elite. <laughs> that's elite shit. I would yeah. die for that. I would die for that in the bullpen on the Toronto Blue Jays. That's just an elite ERA. So that's crazy. And then, uh, but yeah, the 2014 year, the biggest difference was I learned how to throw my sinker to my glove side. So wow. outside to righties, inside to lefties. And all of a sudden I had this split rocket, those sinkers this way, sliders going that way. And I could do it on either edge. And that just opened up a you know world of possibilities for me. Were hitters looking at you when you're throwing that sinker and they're like, what the fuck is this, man? Like, because obviously <laughs> you know, what I'm saying is, I mean, so you have the 650 two years before. And obviously, like you said, you struggled with walking a lot of guys. So that's kind of some of the film that hitters have on you where it's like, all right, maybe he walks a lot of guys and all that kind of stuff. And then you come in in 2013, 2014, and you're throwing fucking bowling balls. So what are hitters like? Did you ever get that look in the, in the batter's box when you're throwing a sinker and the guy's like, I ain't touching this shit. Uh, yeah, I got a lot of looks at it, especially, you know, I throw it at, at lefties ribs and they jump out of the way and, <laughs> and like it come back over the edge or I throw it, you know, in the other batter's box and it would just freeze, freeze righties away. And yeah, then, you know, I got a lot of weird looks on my slider because I throw that right down the middle and it would disappear as they were swinging. So they're just like, I don't fucking know what to do, man. <laughs> it looks like it's it looks like it's going to hit me and then it's over the plate. It looks like it's down the middle and it's in the dirt like. Like that was that was my game was just, you know, taking the hitters eye out of it. They didn't know where the ball was going or or what to swing at, really. And that San Diego Padres season, I mean, you were I believe they only sent one all star to that game. Right. So you got to represent the San Diego Padres there. What was the fan like reaction to you? Because that was during the year they were struggling. Yeah, they were 77 and 85. They're a little bit like struggling that year. So what was the fan reaction to you? Like when you were on the bump at Petco Park? Were, did you notice a little bit more of fans because they're like their all star was on the mound and all that kind of stuff? Or what was the difference there? Or like, what was the reception that you got during that season? Yeah, yeah, the fans are great. I mean, it, it seemed like they came out to, to watch me pitch. Uh, you know, they were always supportive. Now, now they're going crazy because they got a bunch of all stars out there on the yeah. field. They, they started to open up the checkbook a little bit. But yeah, I felt like the fans always supported me and, and were, you know, excited to see me pitch. Uh, you know, it's just San Diego's a great town, man. I mean, living downtown or living in La Jolla by the beach, wherever I was, it was it was just an easy way of life. You know, people people didn't mess with you away from the field. They'd see you and say, hey, man, like good game or whatever. But they weren't, you know, running up to you, interrupting your di- dinner or whatever. But, you know, it's just, you know, they're great town, great fans. I loved it down there. And obviously I want to name drop here, but obviously our guy, we're a big Joe Musgrove podcast. That's my cod partner right there. He loves it, dude. Like he's from there obviously (laughs) too, but he's from there, but he loves it. Like he loves playing in San Diego. It's just, he sometimes will show me like what it looks like from his balcony. And it just looks like he's living in paradise. Like is San Diego, is San Diego, you think one of the best baseball cities to play in just based off of scenery. I know the tax, the taxes aren't that great, but is that like one of the best areas to play? You think in, in Major League Baseball, off of the scenery and how good the weather is all the time? Oh yeah, quality of life in San Diego is outrageous. I mean, the food's insane. You got the beaches right there. Uh, if you like to golf, whatever there is that you're into, it's it's out there, and it's it's uh, you know the weather can't be beat. Every day at 4 p.m. for BP, you're outside and you know short short sleeves and just having a great day because the sun's shining and you're feeling good about life. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, and I just thought about this. This is my dumb brain. Actually, some may call it a creative brain. I'm going to make t-shirts. They're going to say sign Tyson Ross. And then at the start, at the bottom of it, it's going to have the year 2014. You know a baseball reference that has the star beside the yeah. all-star year? It's going to have 2014 with the star beside it. That's it. It's going to say sign Tyson Ross with this. Like I'm going to make that. We're going to get a bump in. We're going to get the whole, we're going to get all the friends of the podcast wearing that. We're going to figure something out. But that team was elite just based off of like all, all time locker room guys, because you have right there. One guy who's just electric. He's in the booth now is Cameron Mabin. What was it like playing yeah. with Cameron Mabin? That guy is electric. Yeah. Cam's the man. Uh, I, I was fortunate to be his teammate. Uh, we're about the same age. He was he was drafted out of high school, so he'd been in the big leagues for a while. But yeah, man, great dude, uh, great family. Love those guys a lot. And uh, another guy is a guy that's also electric is Jeff Francoeur. I don't know what that guy's doing. I think he's like on MLB Network. I don't. Know, I could be wrong on that. But what was Jeff Francoeur like? He only had like a small stint there, I believe. He only played like sixteen or th- ten games there. So what was it like being alongside Jeff Francoeur? Oh, Frenchie's great, man. It's great personality. I think he's calling games for the Braves. I saw him on TV yes. a couple times last yes. year. Yeah, but I mean, a a plus teammate, a plus person. Uh, we had a lot of fun playing with each other, dude. And uh, being and you play, you had a small stint in Texas, so you played in the AL. Uh, yeah, you, you you actually you even five years in AL, five years in the NL. And here's a little thing right here. Let's settle a debate. What league is it harder to pitch in? What's that league where it's like, all right, there's a little bit of more dogs in this league, or it's harder to pitch in this league based off of the ballparks. Like what league was that for you? Uh, well, I mean, now they got the universal DH, so everything's yeah. going to be upside down, but uh, I found that AL to be tougher because uh, the team's focus more on offense when building their roster, you know, they'd sacrifice a left fielder that couldn't cover as much ground for a guy that's going to give you 30 jacks. So <laughs> So, you know, as a pitcher, it worked two ways, right? Like the lineup you're facing is tougher. And then the guys behind you aren't as good as, as on the NL side of things, you know, on the NL, they're like, Hey, first and foremost, you got to play defense. And if you can hit a little bit, we'll figure it out. But the AL teams are just built to slug. And, you know, and you got those guys that are tired and banged up and normally in the NL, they get a day off, but in the AL they're, they're kind of getting a day off because they're DHing. And so, you know, they just sit inside all day and come out for three at bats and try and hit some homers. So, I'd say the AL is tougher in that you know regard. Yeah, no, that, I, I, that makes sense too. And especially you're looking at it now, the teams that, in my opinion, spend more money are in the AL, I think, right? I mean, the NL has the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants. I'm pretty sure those are the three teams spending money. I could be right, and the Braves, I guess. But in the AL, you have the whole American League East now, like just spending yeah. the whole AL East spends money. So I guess that argument still kind of stands valid or stands true to what it is now because – the American League does spend more money, but I guess you're going to see that shift with National League having DH now. So I'm excited to see that for sure as well. But have you played in every major league park or is there a couple you haven't played in? Uh, I have until they just start open the new Rangers ballpark. I haven't played in that one yet. Okay. But while I was playing, I played in all 30. That's such a power move. That's so <laughs> sick. That's so sick. What was your favorite field or city to visit and why is it Toronto? <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I do like Toronto. Toronto is a cool city. 
I don't like domes. So that was the one thing. Oh, really? Yeah. It's just weird. You know, I feel like baseball should be played outside, even though it's, it's cold as shit in some, some towns. Um, let me see. Favorite place to visit? Man, I love going to San Francisco because my family was there. So it was like yeah. a mini vacation. I got to see friends and family, but still go to work at the same time. Um, you know, favorite mound to pitch on, I'd say Anaheim. Something about that backdrop, I felt like, you know, oh. the catcher was like 10 feet away. The ball just, you know, I was able to hit all my spots and I just felt good about things in Anaheim. I didn't even think about that. It, the Angels do because, I, yeah, the Angels, I always see stories of people at the games and stuff like that. That backdrop with the mountains has to be one of the most prettiest things in baseball. It's And, and next year, we're going to this year, we're going to have Otani and Trout playing there. And I, I'm excited for it, man. I, I, obviously, the Angels never really been good, but. I, we'll see what it's like this year, but um, it is crazy. And, and when you were 18, you also, you played on Team USA. Thank you for your service, by the way. I mean, that's just such a power <laughs> move. But Hey, Roger, that. Is that when you realized you were, like, nasty at the game of baseball? Or, wh- or what age was that for you? Were you, like, 15 years old throwing 96? Or, like, what age were you, like, all right, I'm going to be a big leaguer here? You know, that's a funny question, man. Uh, yeah, so at first – I played on the national team a couple different times and I always felt like I was the last man to make the roster. So I wasn't like, dude, I'm sick. I'm on the team USA. I was like, Oh shit. Like they must've forgot to cut me or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause looking back, it's like, I think that that first USA team we were playing on, it was, it was Andrew McCutcheon and Buster Posey was on that team. Wow. Um, I'm trying to think of who else is still playing. Uh, and then the next year it was like Kershaw was on it and Dylan Batances. And so, you know, I was, surrounded by all these guys who were super, super elite. I think Justin Upton was on that first team too Legend. Uh, when we were 17. Yeah. So I was, I was amongst the best players, but I wasn't like, Oh, I'm sick. Um, I was just like, dude, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing here, but hopefully I'm good enough. Um, and then getting into college as a freshman, I, you know, playing against guys three years older. And I, I think I started on Saturdays as a freshman. And then I think that, sophomore summer I played team USA again and, and I was like okay I'm I'm pretty good but I, don't, I still don't know how good I am okay wow I that, that that's crazy to me you're on team USA and you still had no idea how good you were because I always say this I'd be the cockiest dude of all time if I was on team <laughs> USA I'd be the biggest asshole ever if I played for team USA and I was just in college and just be the biggest flex of all time but so was Buster Posey as good as I mean, obviously, he was one of the biggest catching prospects of all time. But being alongside him there on Team USA, was this guy as advertised? I, was he as good as advertised? Yeah, Buster was ridiculous back then because he played every position. He was, you know, he oh, caught. Really? He was really good at, at catcher, but he also played shortstop. He came in and pitched when guys like me couldn't get outs. So he'd come in and pitch and just shut it down. And you're like, dude, this guy can do everything. It's insane. Buster Posey played every position. I I thought he was yeah. just a catcher. What the hell? No, I think he actually did that at Florida State too. He might have had one game where he played all nine positions. Oh, was how many team? How many uh, schools were knocking on your door here? I mean, obviously you chose the hometown faithful to stay in the state, but was like Texas there? Was other schools there, or was it just Cal for you? Um, you know, I really wanted to kind of stay in California as a sophomore. We played travel ball, went all over Texas, Florida, Oklahoma. Yeah. I got to see it all. And I was like, man, I, something about California is different. So I wanted to stay closer to home and I had two younger siblings. So, you know, early, early on when I was getting recruited, like every school, just this is back in the day when they used to send out you know, recruiting letters and I had a, you know, a shoebox full of letters from schools all over LSU, Texas, whatever. But um, I kind of narrowed it down to stay in Cali and, uh, you know, ultimately made the right choice staying at home and going to Cal. 
Yeah, so you're the hometown kid just pitching for the hometown team. That's electric, and, you're, and your family's close and all that kind of stuff. What's the deal with your nickname, by the way? Freeway. Where did this come from? What, what is this? Uh, that's my brother-in-law. Yeah, Freeway Rick Ross was uh, – he was an old-school drug dealer back in uh, – Back in L.A. in the I think in the 80s, maybe if you ever seen Snowfall, that's basically the story of his life. He was he was actually getting drugs from the CIA. I'm not selling drugs. He just, you know, he just thought of the name Ross and that was what he what he connected it with. So wait, wait a second. Hold up. You said Rick Ross is your brother in law. The no, rapper? no, 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 no. So a lot of people associate my name with Rick Ross, who is a rapper. Oh, but my brother-in-law, not a rapper. He's actually an MLB agent, but, you know, being funny, he, you know, he would call me freeway and, and like, you know, be like, that's a real Rick Ross. And, you know, he's into, he's into like the, the eighties hip hop rap scene and, and, uh, you know, just that era. That's, that's where he comes okay. from basically. I'm so glad he was, he was calling me freeway. He's like, you're the real Rick Ross and freeway Ross is, is, uh, you know, yeah, I know. He is okay. Who he is. I okay that settled it for me. I thought you're actually like related to Rick Ross. I was like, no, no. Okay, there we go. Now that makes it a little bit easier in my <laughs> brain because I was so confused there. But that, okay, that makes more sense. Cool. And the, we're going back to Oakland here for a second because that stadium gets absolutely roasted for like the playing conditions. And obviously, I think they're going to move to Las Vegas. That might be a thing soon. But what was it like playing there? Because obviously it gets a really bad rap with how it is for the players and stuff like they have to walk through the fans, I think, to get to the clubhouse or dugout. Is that true? Or like it's a hike. You gotta you gotta walk down a bunch of stairs and around the, the field level seating and then get to the dugout. Yeah. Okay. So what was your I mean, what was it like pitching there? Cause it's kind of like a pitcher friendly park, right? It's like deep as fuck to like every every area. So yeah. what was it like playing there? Well, the playing surface is like Im- immaculate. Really? So, yeah, the playing surface is really good up until now you don't have to worry about it. But at the end of the year, the Raiders would start playing and they would just trample through the outfield and the stands would mess everything up. Uh, but the, you know, the infield, the outfield grass, everything's perfect. It's just you don't have the you don't have the swaggy amenities that other newer stadiums have. So the clubhouse lapse is a, a little rough. Um, but I was coming from college in the minor league. So I was like, dude, you guys got food before and after the game. This is sick. All right. Uh, but everyone else that had been in the big leagues for a while, I was like, man, this stinks. <laughs> you know? I, yeah, I guess it's just like it's a perspective with what you think, right? But yeah, yeah, that, that makes a lot more sense. But and uh, so what, what's it like? I got to ask you this. What's it like getting traded in the major leagues? Because obviously back in that time, is do you, were you guys finding out just as we were finding out just based off of TV, off the teleprompter? or off like the little ticker on the bottom or were you, or back in that time, did you know before social media and before like the, the, like the, the fans knew how, what was it like getting traded back then? Yeah. So I got traded from Oakland to San Diego in the off season. I just woke up and got a phone call from the GM saying, Hey, we just acquired you in San Diego. Excited to have you. Um, and then in 2013 or 14, maybe 15, it was, you know, tons of trade rumors around me because, you know, I was on the Padres weren't, weren't very good and other teams were looking for pitching. And I mean, it was just like, we were as lost, we were in the dark, just like fans, you know, it's like hearing things on Twitter or, or, you know, text messages, bottom ticker type stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, now I think they might be a little, a little better for the players, but, but overall, I mean, you're really kind of in the dark, you just kind of, you know, hang with them and, and go when told, like I was, uh, I was traded to uh, the Cardinals in 2018 
Yeah. And, you know, I was getting my cleats on and we were Wrigley. I was about to throw a bullpen at like nine in the morning. I'd already been in there working out for like an hour, had a full sweat going, was about to make the trek down from the clubhouse. That's another one that's super far. <laughs> and, you know, like I was about to go down like this, this mountain of stairs and like the, the bullpen coach, like grabbed me. It's like, Hey, come with me real quick. And I'm like, dude, what's up? I got to go throw and pulled me in the office and they let me know that I'd been traded to St. Louis. And I was like, well, fuck. Okay. Like, yeah, damn. you know, I was, I was happy to be back in San Diego. I was kind of having a bounce back year after, after 2017. And, you know, I, I really felt at home with those guys and I was like, okay, well, I get to go, go to another team. And uh, you know, that Cardinals team was super young and, and on a hot streak. So I was excited about that opportunity, but you know, it was weird because, you know, the gates were opening in 30 minutes. And so I was there packing up all my shit and walking down the street, trying to get an Uber, you know, with all my Padres gear, all these Cubs fans are, you know, coming in from the bars, getting ready to go see a ball game. And it's, you know, it's just kind of a weird feeling. And there's some of that liquid courage there too. Where if they see you and they recognize you, there'd be a couple chirps thrown for sure. They were saying <laughs> yeah. some shit. But that Cardinals team you went to was kind of a wagon. Like, I mean, they... You got to throw to Yachty. Michael Walker was there. Obviously, Wainwright was there. Colton Wong, that Tommy Pham, Ozuna. So what was it like getting traded from a team like the Padres that were obviously struggling at that time to a team that finished like 88 and 74, like a very good St. Louis Cardinals team? What was it like to get traded to a team that was actually playing meaningful baseball at that time? Oh man, it was, it was fun getting over to St. Louis. Those guys do it right. Uh, you know, I got to see a lot of those young guys like Jack Flaherty, I think was a rookie. Yeah. Um, Harrison Bader was a rookie. Those guys were just lighting it on fire. And, and, you know, they showed up every day expecting to win. And I think with Wainwright and Yachty uh, kind of setting the pulse and and being the example, you know, everyone kind of came, came to the field ready to kick someone's ass. And it was it was really cool to see. And, you know, I understand why that organization is successful as they are, because, you know, that's how they go about their business. And, you know, I was hearing stories like that's how it was first day of spring training. You know, they all show up with that same mentality and get it in. So, it was, it was cool. I, I appreciated my time in St. Louis. It was a lot of fun and, you know, great organization. Dude, you carved there too. I, I you nine appearances, 26 innings, a two, seven, three, or are you shitting me? How much of that was dedicated to kind of Yachty behind the dish? Like did Yachty like really change or help you a shit ton or, or like the pitching coach? Like what was the difference there? Yeah. Yachty was amazing. I think I only had one start when I was there. Uh, yeah. One. Cut his finger. Yeah. Um, and I think that that started as first day I pitched in like 12 days and I was all over the place. And Yachty was just like Superman. He was like fucking grabbing shit from all over, <laughs> sticking it. And I was like, dude, I was so bad. And somehow you got me through six innings and we might have won the game. Um, but yeah, that was that was fun because, you know, as a veteran pitcher coming in, we had a lot of young guys. And my role was I was really a long reliever out of the bullpen. So a lot of those games I had to come in where bases loaded or um, you know, shit had hit the fan. Someone gave up like five runs in the first two innings and, and they were like, Hey, we need someone to bridge the gap right now. And I was like, yeah, dude, I'm good to go every day. Like I'll do whatever this team needs. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was fun pitching in a different role, you know, finding a way to succeed out of the bullpen and, you know, help keep the team in some games. And I think we came back and won a couple of those where, you know, if, if the bleeding had continued, it would have been over real fast. Yeah. And that team, like you mentioned, I mean, Jesus Christ, the Yadier Molina, all those kind of players there got to really help like Yachty or Molina makes a difference. And you, everyone talks about that, right? Everyone talks about the difference that Yachty or Molina, he's a lead. He's the best catcher. One of the best catchers ever. What was one thing that you noticed with Vlad or Yachty or Molina, Yachty and Molina that was different than other catchers you had? Like, the, is it just the way he goes about his business? Like what, what is so different about Yachty? Dude, he's just a gamer. I mean, he's, 
he's doing things in the game where you're just like, there's no way. I think he had set a record for consecutive games played by like a catcher over the age of 36 Jesus that year Christ. too. After he he had a surgery or something earlier in the season, so he was like, I'm not sitting out any games. Like, there's no way you're pulling me out of any of these games to get any rest. Like, I'll, I'll rest, you know, at the end of the year, you know, in the off season. But uh, you know, just the way he competed up there, and it's hot as shit in St. Louis. You yeah, know, we're in the bullpen melting. He's behind the dish working his ass off, <laughs> and and doing all this stuff. And then he gets up there and like, you know, he'll he'll ambush someone, hit a hit a ball down the line, and hustle a double out of it. And you're like, dude, this guy's unbelievable. Like most catchers would be like huffing and puffing, getting out of first, and he's 36, you know, stretching it for two. And it's you know, that's just that's who Yachty is. He's incredible, honestly. And the fact that he's still kicking around doing it is just one of the career. Like, that's a guy I grew up watching when I was a kid, man. I used to play video games with that guy behind the dish. I mean, and he's still doing it, too. I mean, the guy can rake still, man. I mean, it's just a custom to him. And one guy that actually really stands out to me is his brother, because obviously I was a, I'm a big Blue Jays fan. So Benji Molina, did you ever, did you ever like play or, or like face Benji or ever, ever come across him? Because he's hilarious. That guy. He just looks like the funniest dude ever. I feel like I, he played in Tampa, too, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think we we faced off in Tampa, and then his brothers were around, uh, you know, in the hallway after games every now and then. So I got a chance to see him. And but, yeah. what a, yeah, what a fan base the Cardinals fans are. They are psychopaths, eh? I mean, oh, obviously man, you, you you were good there though. I mean, so you were good there, so you were always on their good side. So what what was your reception like with the fans? And what was like what's one thing that makes that fan base different? Because they are really diehard, man. They love the St. Louis Cardinals down there. Yeah, they're they're fans of baseball. You know, it's one of those. There's a few places where you go and you know, first strike of the game, you get a round of applause. Uh, you know, first out as a pitcher's coming off. You know, they're really in tune to what's going on on the field. You know, you go to other ballparks and people are more entertained by the, the big screen and and you know the goofy shit with like the presidents running around the field, like yeah. on field entertainment in between. But Cardinals fans are there for baseball and they know the game well. So like, it's cool to see the fans appreciating what's happening on the field uh, as baseball fans. Yeah. The Cardinals fans are different. I love the, I love the whole banter they always have with the Chicago Cubs fans. Like they, those two teams hate each other. And I don't know if you, did you ever get to face the Cubs in St. Louis or go to Wrigley? Uh, yeah. Yeah. We've okay. played them plenty of times. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it like being a St. Louis Cardinal playing in Wrigley? Because those fans are fucking ruthless in Chicago. Yeah. Like they, Amir used to tell, Amir Gary used to tell me stories like they would come out his hairline the way that he looked, they just say the most out of pocket shit ever. So what was it like being a visitor at Wrigley as a St. Louis Cardinal? Yeah, it was intense, man. I, I think we finished the year in, in Chicago and I think we had to win out the series and we didn't get it done to have a chance at, at a wild card. But um, yeah, man, it like, like that rivalry is cool. It's, it's good for baseball. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like the Dodgers, Giants, Cardinals, uh, Cardinals, Cubs, like, Yankees, Red Sox, like that's what baseball is all about. We need more of that and and less of these, uh, you know, weird interleague exchanges where it's two teams that never play each other and the fans don't care on, on either side. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great point. And the second last thing I wanted to talk about is, so your brother, obviously first rounder and a pretty, a very good pitcher in major league baseball. How much credit do you take for that shit? Are you, uh, were you I've been throwing a pitch for him, man. It's all him. So I, I'm just saying, obviously I'm just, uh, like, <laughs> I'm just saying, I mean, did, how much of it like did you ever like teach him shit or did you ever see stuff that he used to do where you corrected like because obviously you're a 10 league 10 year big league bet by the time he was in the league 2015 you've been there for five years right I mean or sorry four or five, or five six years so is there some stuff that you kind of taught him along the way or 
just something, some differences that you made in his career, you think? I think, I think just having a big brother that was doing it kind of laid out the path for him and he saw what was possible. Like earlier I was talking about, like I was on the national team, but I was like, dude, I suck. I shouldn't be here. Like he saw everything that was possible. He was like, oh yeah, Tyson played on Team USA. He went to college. He pitched as a freshman. He was a second round pick. He was an all-star. Like, you know, he was, he was, uh, shit. He was probably 16 going into the player's lot and going, you know, in the, in the tunnel at the big league games and going to as many games as he wanted to. So like for him, it was a reality for me. It was like, I was venturing into this unknown yeah. world yeah. of like, okay, I don't know what, what the next level, like what high school, what college, what pro looks like, uh, you know, what big league baseball looks like really. And he was able to watch all that six years younger be around it and you know for him it was like yeah this is what I do I just go to this level then I go to this showcase and I'm you know get drafted high then I'm in the big leagues you know that's a good point but the thing that is mind-boggling to me is he was on team USA 14U what the fuck is that 14U team know, USA man. what is that true he was is that a thing yeah yeah they I mean they, they're doing it crazy now there's like I think there's like under 10 now what the fuck yeah that's what that's see that is the problem that is what generates psychopath parents when you have a 10u team usa team what like what are we doing here that's eyewash shit that's crazy yeah. to me. well i mean everyone gets ranked now you got a perfect game and all these different yeah, showcases that's... where it's like hey i'm a i'm the third best nine-year-old in california like i don't know what that means yeah no but... one knows what that means it's the dumbest <laughs> shit ever it just doesn't make any sense and when did you realize your brother was like really good like first round good at what age did you realize like this guy has shit that i haven't seen before or like this guy's a little bit better than i was or this guy's like on the same like the same wavelength as i am or stuff like that uh there was a game i went to it must have been like 2011 i actually got a chance to see him pitch in high school he must have been a, a junior that year and he had a big growth spurt because he was small his freshman and sophomore years he was he was short like i was always you know, like i was 510 as a freshman yeah. in high school i was tall but he was like five three maybe he was like a little dude and then he hit this big growth spurt and he shot up over six foot and i went to a game with uh actually geo gonzalez and i went to a game on an off day and watched him pitch and like i was like oh shit joe's pretty good and he was just blowing <laughs> these kids away and you know i, I hadn't seen him play much because i was playing just as much and so like you know you can't be in too so i started getting a chance to see him throw a little bit and i was like okay yeah joe's got some he's got some good shit now what a sick reality check that is as a bigger brother though man like looking down on your brother and being like wow this guy's a dog like yeah. i mean that is <laughs> such a power move for you good for you guys and credit to your parents too i mean two big league sons is one of the biggest flexes you could ever have just having two sons that play in the show so credit to him and his nickname by the way is electric jr maybe we'll get jr i'm gonna start calling him jr maybe we'll get jr on the pod we'll figure something out here i'll reach out to him or something but we need the other half of the the ross family on the podcast so we'll figure that out but um yeah last thing i want to talk about so obviously um you're, you're, you're trying to get back into it. You're trying to get back into the show. What do you think? And like I said, we're starting the web. We're going to do all that stuff. What do you think you can bring to a big league team right now? Or kind of just talk about like the differences you've seen in your game or stuff that you can see off the mound. What's like a couple things that you could bring to a big league team now? Oh man, I can throw every day. Oh shit. Elasta arm. He has Elasta arm. He can throw every single day. Good for you. Hey, all right. We're back. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I can throw every day. I kind of have a rubber arm at this point. I'm not throwing the, the same cheese I used to when I was younger. So I know a lot of teams have younger pitchers are trying to protect. I can I can kind of fill those gaps and 
and just kind of eat up those innings for for the team and save the bullpen a little bit and you know just have that that knowledge and experience that playing the game for a long time comes with and yeah dude yeah and that's enough that's a thing that's very underrated in the game of baseball because obviously 162 games a year you have a lot of these young guys that are throwing literally fucking 103 now i don't know if you saw that at tennessee that kid throwing 103 so it's a very it's very important to have that guy with the kind of quote-unquote last arm where they could just throw forever and never really feel any repercussions obviously there's repercussions to it but you never really feel like you could just throw it you could throw every single day if you want to so that's obviously a good thing to add to big league clubhouses and big league bullpens just having that security net there so like i said man i'm hoping you i'm hoping you get back into it and you guys and the reason why we also had you on here is because obviously i'm really good friends with kevin smith and you guys are doing that nft project right for meta athletes is that correct Mm -hmm. yeah so what's going on there just let the people know like what what's going on with meta athletes and uh like how, how can they find it or all that stuff? Yeah. Yeah. So meta athletes is a project that, uh, that Kevin and drew founded. Kevin does all the art. It's super sick. And basically it's a way of onboarding athletes and, and sports fans into the web three space. Uh, you know, they do a lot of education basically as fans, you get access to, to communicate with athletes and then also, uh, access to, to, you know, different training modalities, coaches, whatever tips and tricks that you wouldn't have access to otherwise. So, it's been really cool. Uh, you know, I've, I've met up with with Kev and, and Drew over the last few months, uh, just online talking about what they're doing and how I can help. And, you know, it's something I'm really into. Uh, the project minted out, or no, it didn't mint out. It started minting last week. So anyone interested, I think you can just hop on Twitter, search Meta Athletes, M-E-T-A Athletes. And uh, yeah, get yourself a MetaMask wallet. You can join in. And uh, yeah, I think they got a lot of cool stuff down the pipeline. It's great stuff. And Roger Clemens is there as well. Uh, Cody, who we've had on the show, Cody Clemens is going to be another big league, super, a big league superstar. In my, in my opinion, I think he's just a freak of nature. So there's a lot of good stuff you're doing. And shout out to Kevin, man. I mean, that guy grinds. Like, yeah, talk about he, he just got traded, obviously, which broke my heart because obviously I was at his debut with his family, all that stuff. I got to see him play in Toronto a lot. So it sucked, but I'm glad he's had a good opportunity now in Oakland. Did you tell him anything, actually, by the way? Did you tell him anything to expect playing in Oakland? Because that's oh, uh, you're very familiar with it. So Yeah, I just told him, hey, perfect opportunity for you, man. Best place to be a young player. It, the doors are wide open. You can go out there and go get it. And whatever he needs, I, I don't live far. So I was like, hey, if you need food wrecks or whatever, just let me know. He's, I, I love Kevin, man. I love that dude. And I think he's hitting like 367 right now in the spring. So Sick. he he mashes, man. He's he's one of those good guys. But anyways, man, I love having guys like you on because obviously you're more you're filled with wisdom. And we, we obviously we have guys that just get drafted. We have all the kind of stuff. But I love having the guys that were there in like the 2010s, the 20, like in the old days where they're just full of stories. So I appreciate you hopping on this podcast, man. It's electric. You're electric. And um I can't wait to see what you do this year. We're going to sign TysonRoss.com. Figure it out. We're going to get it going, and uh, we're going to get the shirts printed. At 2014, MLB All-Stars. That good? You tell me. I appreciate you doing this, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me on, bro. Thank you for listening to Officially Unofficial. Make sure you guys subscribe and leave a review on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Pod and on Instagram at Pod. Thank you.